come before you. We thank for this day. We thank for the opportunity we have to come before you and worship you. We thank you for your leading and guiding as we look at these verses and psalms. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 111. Praise you, the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out by all them that have pleasure therein. His works are honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given meat unto them that fear him. He will be mindful of his covenant. He has showed his people the power of his works, and he has that he may give them the heritage give them the heritage of the heathen the works of his hands are verity and judgment all his commandments are sure they stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness he has re- he sent redemption unto his people he has commanded his covenant forever holy and reverend is his name the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endures forever. All right, this is a very upbeat psalm. Uh, normally they start out bad, uh, hard and then get going. And this one starts right from the top. So let's look at verse 1. Praise you the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and the congregation. Praise. In this case it means to boast, to shine forth. And this is what God's saying, praise you the Lord, boast in the Lord, boast of the Lord, shine forth the Lord. And this is something that we as Christians should be doing all the time, lifting God up, expressing who he is, giving him glory and letting people know who it is that we are following. And this is something that is so precious. I, I love being able to do this. Uh, I had it again this last week where somebody goes, why do you always smile? <laughs> uh, and I love that question because it gives me an opportunity to lift up God and his glory and his power to, to keep me in, in a joyful mood. And it gives me opportunities to share him quite frequently just because people look and say, wow, you're so different it, because it impresses people. When they see a person who seems to be joyful all the time, or most of the time, it makes people wonder, why? How is it that you're different? What are you doing that, what do you have that I don't have? Because people are looking for that joy. If you've not been there yourself, you know that that's what you're looking for most of the time. That inner peace and joy that keeps you calm in the midst of even the hard things that go on in your life. Christians should have that joy. The peace that passes understanding, even though nothing seems to be making sense, God gives us peace because he's in control. And ultimately, that's where our peace comes from. He's in control. And as long as he's in control, I will lift him up. I will shine him forth and say, God, you are special. It says, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. Now, this praise means to confess or cast forth his name. The other one's to to boast and to shine. This one is to confess who he is and to, and to cast him forth. This is the picture of, the idea of this is the person shooting an arrow. They are casting forth that arrow. We cast forth his name in praise. We lift him up. We boast in him. And this is a very powerful thing. Is our boast in Christ or the Lord? 
basically that was the lessons for this morning. For me to live is Christ. He is lifted up. He is cast forward by my life and him being lifted up. And this is what he's looking for. And it says, I will, I will bless the Lord with my whole heart. In Hebrew, this is the word lab, and it means our innermost being. Not just our heart, but literally the, where our essence comes in, the seat of our emotion, the very center of who I am. I will praise the Lord with everything that I have at the core of my being. Not just the exterior, but at the core. At our core, do we lift up God? Are we lifting and trusting in God at the core of who we are? And this is a question only we can answer. Is he sitting on the throne of our heart in the centermost part of our being, changing who we are to be like him? And this is important for us because we speak from the treasure of our heart. And this is something that we see. When we lift up God and you talk to somebody who lifts up God and is constantly talking about God and lifting him up, what does that tell you? That at the core of their being, <laughs> there's God. If all they want to do is gripe and complain and moan about how bad life is for them, what is that telling us at the core of their being and the bottommost part of their heart and their treasure is them and not Christ. And this is important. Are we always going to have Christ on the seat of our heart? We should, but we probably don't. There are many times we try to go, God, you go sit over there in the corner and I'm going to sit on this throne. And he doesn't fight us when we do that. He'll let us be miserable for a while. He'll let us mess up our life for a while until we're ready to say, okay, God, I give up. You get back over here. You get back over here on the seat of, the, seat of my heart and, and guide me. And we can, we can be, make our life miserable, trying to run it ourselves. Been there, done that myself many times. And, or we can let him run it. And our, the choice is ours. And he says, in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation... In the assembly of the upright, the gathering of the upright, and the, the people who are upright, the ones who are wanting to follow God. This should be who we're spending a lot of our time with each day, is with the upright. And we've shared with, with before, we need lost people in our life. If we don't have lost people in our life, we have nobody to witness to. Plain and simple, we've got to have some lost people that we deal with, whether it's at work or sporting events, or something. We have to have some lost people in our lives. But a lost person should not be our best friend. We shouldn't be hanging out with them exclusively or even the majority of our time because the lost will drag us down. It's much easier to be drugged down than to bring people up. And if you don't believe it, hang, hang with people who are bad, bad character, and before long you're going to find yourself doing whatever it is they do. It just happens. Can you go into the negative world for a period of time and not be affected? Yes, yes you can, but you better be in God's word every opportunity you have and, and listening to speakers and on the radio, you know, listening on the radio. You need to be doing some very heavy-duty personal things to keep yourself from going down. The problem is, if you're isolated from other Christians and trying to minister to the world you probably aren't going to stay in God's word the way you should because it is just hard to do. 
It's the same idea, and it's a picture that's used all over the time. If you have a glowing fire with red-hot embers in there, and you go in with a pair of tongs and lift out a glowing red ember out of the middle of that fire and set it up on the top of the brick away from the fire, it won't be long before that glowing red ember, which could have started a fire if it had been in the right conditions, will be dead and not be able to start a fire because it doesn't have the heat to keep it up. Same thing for us as Christians. If we are not spending time with other Christians and with God in a very consistent way, we will be just like that ember and die out and be ineffective. Glowing hot, ready to start a fire, but not put in the right environment and die. It will happen. It just It is the way things are. And, and being by yourself and with God, you can stay hot, but man, it is a lot of work and it is really hard to do. Which is why many pastors end up dying in their fervency because they stop ministering, they stop being ministered to. Think, I'm the pastor, I know all these things, I don't need anybody else. And they're pouring out to everybody, they're pouring out. They're studying. But eventually they start, if they don't have somebody really pouring back into their life, they'll burn out, they'll, they'll not technically burn out, they'll die. They just don't have the heat to even burn out. It is just in the flesh. And this is why it's important. Even pastors must be listening to other pastors and being able to be fed and need to have people that they can gather around and worship with and just hang out with. I mean, there is a time to be just laid back and, and enjoy your life, but not in a way sinful way that, that a lot of people do. And it's very important, and it's hard if you don't bring in a Christian into the mix, because you'll find yourself doing what the world does. We all need it to some degree, whether, whether it's we come to as many services as we can to be with, with other body members, we spend time on the radio. The radio is a good second choice. Being with other individuals is the better choice, because that's where you get to talk with people, share what goes on, and and get directly built up, which is why we have the local assemblies that meet together, because we need one another. We have to have somebody who speaks into our life, and when they see something going wrong, they go, uh, you know, hey, you're not, going the right, you're not going down the right path. I'm really concerned about you. Or I'm concerned about you, you know, with things I seem to be seeing. And all of a sudden, it makes us think twice. It kind of, oh, well, maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to make some corrections. But it's very important. I will praise him in the assembly of the upright and with the congregation, the gathering of people. And not every single person in the church is of the, of the assembly of the upright. There are many people in a church that aren't even part of the assembly. In reality, they are just here. They are part of the congregation. But not necessarily the assembly of believers. And some churches have a greater percentage of unbelievers, some have a lesser percentage, but there are unbelievers probably in every single church, unless it's extremely small. There are probably unbelievers in every church. And the bigger the church is, the greater that chance is of having unbelievers in the church. Because there are going to be people who just think they're saved, or want to believe they're saved, but they're not following the gospel message. And in a church where the gospel message is preached and lifted up all the time, there should be fewer people who are unsaved. 
probably a couple of people in our church that are unsaved, you know, just because of we have a large enough group to have at least one or two that aren't saved. Now, do I know that for sure? I don't know that, but I'm just saying percentage-wise, we are large enough to have one or two people that aren't saved in our church, and at least. Now, in some churches, you have lots of people that aren't saved because they're, they never hear the gospel message in some churches out there. But we want to be careful. We want to be praising God. We want to lift him up. When we're with other Christians, do we talk about God or do we talk about everything but God? And I know for some people, they talk about God. I always talk about God. I bring God up in just about every conversation. That's just, that's what's important to me. We want to bring him up. We want to start mentioning him and talking about him. Of course, when we start doing that, we better live like we're a Christian because people are then going to look at us and say, are you really being a Christian? By their understanding of Christian, which is usually not a valid look at what Christians are, but... They're looking to say, are we living the way we speak? When you start speaking about loving people, that God loves us, that we should love people, are they, and you don't show love, they'll understand real quick. And they'll look at it. Because they expect to be loved. They expect to see forgiveness. They expect to see somebody who's generally kind to them. Even though that's not always what's going to be needed, sometimes the greatest kindness and love we can give them is to correct. Better be in love and, love and kindness, but sometimes it needs to be correction and that correction is important because it can change somebody's life oftentimes Annie was sharing this afternoon about a time that I corrected her and I was didn't even remember it but but it was a correction and it, it stuck with her but we see this sometimes these corrections are what's important and needed but we have to be in an assembly we really do and wherever God's called you stick with it <laughs> until he calls you out and it's very important on that. Verse 2, the works of the Lord are great, sought out by them that have pleasure therein. The works of the Lord are great. I love this you know, idea. How great are the works of the Lord? You know, we can think of the great works. He created this world. He created everything. everything. He created each one of us. He has a plan for each one of us. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we could be admitted into heaven. All these great works, and, and then so many more beyond that. And then he goes, they're sought out by them that have pleasure therein. Do you seek out the Lord's works? Do you seek out his, do you have pleasure in what he does? It's wonderful to seek after God. I love looking for God in everything that goes on in my life. Blackaby has a great, the great quoting from him. You know, you want to find out what God's will is? Look for what he's doing and join him. God is always at work around you. He's doing things all the time around us. The question is, are we really looking for him? How easy is it to not see what God's doing? Because we get so wrapped up in our world so wrapped up in our problems that we don't look for God. The old statement, you, you can't see the forest because of the trees. Isn't that what it is? You've know, you got your face right up in front of a tree and you can't see the, the, the forest around you because all you see is the one big tree standing in front of you. So often we get stuck in our individual problems and we don't even begin to see what God's doing. 
And if we don't see what he's doing, then we're going to be really depressed because there's not a whole lot going on. If we're stuck with what we see and we're not getting the perspective of what he's doing, we have to seek after him. This is what it says. They are sought out. They are inquired after. They are, in, they are sought, you know, really seeking. This word is really strong. This is the idea of the reason the gold miners came out here to chloride in the first place, to find gold. They didn't just walk out here, sit in their, sit in their house back east and say, okay, this, I'm looking for the gold to fall into my lap. They came here and did work. Do we really seek out God? Are we expecting to find him? Do we really get out and seek after what he is doing? And this is rhetorical. I'm not looking for anybody to answer on that one, but how much time do you really spend looking for what God's doing? Or you kind of just sitting at home and say, okay, God, bless me. I'm sitting here, sitting here on my couch. What do you want me to do? Those aren't usually the prayers that God answers. He goes, get out and do something. If it's wrong, I'll change what you're doing, but get out and start looking, seeking. Get into my word and, and study. Very important that we get into his word and start looking and saying, God, what is it you want done? How am I supposed to work? And it says, for them that have pleasure therein. Do I really want to find God? Or, like most Christians or many Christians, God, I'm doing this, bless it. <laughs> you know, not, even, not even asking for, for seeking him, but just, God, this is what I'm doing, bless it. Have you ever prayed and asked God for something and told him how, how exactly he was supposed to give you, the, give you what you're requesting? God, I really think I need to do this. And by the way, we really think you should do it this way. A lot of us do it in many times. But that's exactly what I was saying in the first place. We get so wrapped up in our own lives that we stop looking for what God is wanting to do. And it's easy to do because we're a fleshly beings. We look in and we see things by the flesh. God, I need this and I need it now. And God's saying, I will get it to you when, when you need it. And how many times when I, when I didn't have a lot of money being made, did the, bill, the money come in for the bill at the last possible moment because God wants it to be understood that it's him that's doing it. He doesn't want us to take credit for it. So he will oftentimes bring things in at the last moment to say, this is me, this is me. Now, if we are looking for him, we don't have to wait till the last moment because we're going, oh, praise God, look how, look how he's blessed me. I can pay this bill three days early now because of what God's done. But if somehow we're going to go, well, look, God got really lucky. Look at this. I got this job just in time to get this bill paid and, and forget that God is the one that did it, <laughs> then he's going to wait till the last moment so he gets the glory. Always. He's looking that he is going to get the glory. Verse 4, his work is honorable and glorious. His righteousness endures forever. God's work, the things that he does, is honorable. Have you thought about the word honor? It means splendor, majesty. Uh, the uh, actual dictionary definition is having or showing a sense of what is right and prosperous respected. God's works are honorable. They're above anything that we can even imagine. They're high above. They have this splendor and majesty that 
comes because only he can do those. And then, if honorable wasn't enough, they're also glorious. <laughs> glorious, marvelous, wonderful, surpassing, uh, extraordinary. His works are extraordinary. How many times have you looked at what God has done in your life and you go, God, this is just so amazing? You provided, you did this, you did whatever it might be. Sharon shared that one time of finding that ring outside her in all that dirt. No way to find that ring other than God showing it, you know. How many things in your lifetime have been just that? They are so extraordinary that you know that it cannot be anything but God. When you start just going through and saying, God, you are going to be very honorable. You are going to lift up what's going on. You're going to care for us. God's works just so wonderful. And I love watching God work. It is an amazing thing to watch God work and, and work in people's lives and, and bring changes about and do miraculous things that only he can do. You know, when he brings just all these different things together and all of a sudden everything comes together at the right moment to make things happen. And then it says, and his righteousness endures forever. God's righteousness endures into all of the future forever. God is righteous. And his righteousness will last forever. He clothes us in his righteousness and we will bear that righteousness that he clothes us with forever. Once we're in heaven, we will bear his righteousness as well forever. What a gift he gives us so that we can spend eternity with him. Verse 4, he has made his wondrous, wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered, to be recalled. Do you know the greatest thing that we can do is give testimony of what the Lord's done for us? I love to hear people talk about the things that God has done for them. These simple things like keeping you from being hurt when you fall you know, are so wonderful because it is a gift of what God has done. The time when you look at something and say, God protected us. The other day when I asked you all to pray for me going home, well, my mechanic told me I shouldn't have made it home because he took the wheel off and the hub and the spindle collapsed into pieces. And he goes, he's amazed that I made it home. God answered the prayers for getting me home. The little things that happen. Many, many years ago, the tie rod went out in our van while Lynn was driving. <laughs> she made three turns with a, no tie rod working. We know that she made the three tie rod uh, turns because the tie rod was digging into the road on all the path until she parked her car. And... When I jacked it up, that wheel had no tension whatsoever in it. So God does great things. He protects us. He gives us. And those are just simple things for God. You know, God, these things are simple for him. Imagine having to arrange for things to happen you know, for, for another blessing for us. Say you need the money for something and it gets mailed to you. By the time you know you needed, somebody else had to be put on their heart to write the check and put it in the mail and get it sent to you before you even know that you need it. God is already working 
on getting it fixed. It is an amazing thing to watch God's wondrous works and recall them. Why? Because he is gracious and full of compassion. Gracious. I love the definition in the Hebrew. Courteous to the people of lower social position. Which for God is everybody. <laughs> he is so gracious that he's courteous to the entire world to show them blessing. So courteous that he sent his son to die for them so that they could go to heaven. And yet he's rejected by so many. He is gracious and full of compassion. Compassion that he loves us unconditionally and wants to restore us. You know, have you really thought about the compassion of God? How compassionate he is. We deserve punishment from God. And yet, he is compassionate. Even as Christians, we do so many things wrong, and he still is so compassionate to us and patient with us. Just think, you know, if we did the things to other people that we do to God, imagine how badly we would have been treated you know, how badly we treat God and he still loves us. If we were to do that to people, how they would be treating us, because most of them are not going to be compassionate when we do the wrong, when we're, when we're mean to them or nasty, we say things we shouldn't think, we do things. When God gives us the same lesson a hundred times and we still are disobedient. You know, how many times as parents do we tell our kids, how many times do I have to tell you? God understands that. <laughs> I can almost hear him as I'm studying these books. How many times do I have to tell you? Well, about 500 times, God, that might be enough. You know, sometimes you get the smart aleck kid, you know, well, you've told me, you've told me 103 times, maybe 104 times might be enough. You know? <laughs> but you know, God, over and over in his word, is so repetitious on what he expects from us. And we are so dense <laughs> that... We finally go, the light turns on after about the 500th time we've read it or seen it or heard it. Oh, I'm supposed to be doing this. <laughs> yeah. And you can almost picture God going, well, I'm finally glad you, finally glad you uh, realized this and that the light went on. The, the light's on and somebody is finally at home. <laughs> but you know, the patience of God is just miraculous. He is so patient with us. And he keeps repeating, and he's so full of compassion. In verse 5, he says, He gives meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. The fear of God is such an interesting term. We like to try to use the fear of God and say, well, it's just the reverence of God. And yes, that is a true statement. But the fear of God is much more than just the reverence. In one sense, it is literal fear of God. We are to be afraid of what God can do to us. Okay? It's just like in the old days when mother would say, just wait till your father gets home. What did that mean? Poor dad had to be the disciplinary. He was the one that was going to beat their butt and, and, and discipline them. He never did. Well, sometimes it was true, though. <laughs> God is ready willing and able to discipline us if we need discipline. We're his children. 
He is not going to let us get away with doing things without being punished when it's needed. That is who he is. He's a good father. When we disobey, there will be consequences. Why? Because pain is associated with disobedience to keep us from being disobedient again. That is the whole purpose of discipline. Discipline is designed, if it's proper, to create enough pain in you to say, it wasn't worth doing the bad that I thought was so much fun. So the more fun you think what you're doing is wrong, expect much more pain in the discipline than what you enjoyed. Because God wants you to think twice about being doing it again. And this is something that we look at. He is one that will give that punishment. He wants us to be reverent of him. You know, isn't it amazing? God is so great and so awesome and in control of so much, and yet he loves us individually. As Sharon said, you know, he's in control of the whole world, and yet he cares about my little insignificant problems. And yours, by the way, <laughs> not just mine. All of, our, all of our problems, even though in the scope of the whole world, our problems are probably totally, you know, not that big a deal. And yet he says, I care about him. He gives meat to them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenants. His covenant. What is his covenant with us? Jesus died and he has made us his children. We are in his family. Not because we deserve it. Not because of anything we have done, really. Because he did everything. All by grace. And God remembers his covenants. What did he keep telling the Jews? You are not being destroyed because of my covenant with Abraham. A thousand years after, after Abraham's covenant and God's still telling the people, you are so fortunate I made a covenant with Abraham because I'm remembering my covenant with Abraham. When we are being totally stupid and, and disobedient, God's saying, my son paid the price. I remember, my, I remember the new covenant. I'm going to continue giving grace. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And we deserve to be punished severely. Not just the punishment he gives us, but totally taken out completely in many cases because of our sin and our outright disobedience. How many times do we know what we're supposed to do and we either actively or even inactively disobey? There are times when we actively disobey. Every single person is actively disobeyed and knowing that I should be doing this, but I'm not going to today. I am just not going to do this, God. I, I, I'm, a, I'm going to be obstinate and, and disobedient today. Sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of something, going, how did I get here? I know better and I'm here anyway, which still is somewhat an active place to be because we should have known better. And God says, he remembers his covenant and keeps us even when we don't deserve it because it's all him. Verse 6, he has showed his people the power of his work that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. 
And here he's referring really clearly to the Jewish people. He has showed his people the power of his works. And this is the thing, the thing that has occurred, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. What did, Jesus, what did God do? He took them out of Egypt. He took them through the Red Sea. He, he fed them in the, in the wilderness for 40 years. Can you imagine? Have you ever really thought about it? Approximately three and a half million people being given food and water every day. I don't know if you really can figure that, how big a deal that is. They weren't growing their food. They weren't killing all of their flocks every, every, every day and having them restored. God provided food for three and a half million people every day for 40 years. Millions. You know, try, try figuring out how hard it would be to, in the middle of a desert to feed you know, three or four hundred people in the middle of a desert. And God did this every day for 40 years. It would be a logistical nightmare for that large an army to be fed by, and having great means of getting the food to them. Uh, what would be about a three and a half million population people around here? Uh, I don't know. Not just thinking because that. Trying to figure out how big a city that would be. It would be. It would be a city. It would be a city. It wouldn't be. We're not talking a town. No, 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 city. But you think even even for something like Kingman, what's Kingman? Thirty, forty thousand people. How many trucks go in every single day? with food to feed the multiple grocery stores that everybody's buying their food from all the time. Daily, daily, big trucks, big trucks. And we're just a small, small, you know, small metropolis compared to what God fed for his people for 40 years. God's power, you know, and a lot of times we don't think about that. You know, God fed them. Big deal. <laughs> it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. He not only fed them, he gave them water. It's just a lot of water because, you know, figure you needed it. Well, if you only needed a gallon a person, that's a lot of gallons of water. What a big miracle that was to keep them alive for 40 years in the wilderness. And that was only the smallest of his miracles. <laughs> The protection and the winning of the battles and the guidance through the through. His works showed his mighty power. How many times does God do great things in your life and you don't recognize it? How many great works has he done in your life that you don't recognize? You probably can't imagine. And we recognize so little of what he does around us because we're really not looking to see what he does in most cases. And he is at work all the time around us. He has given us blessings. Just the fact that we wake up each morning, the fact that this earth hasn't blown apart is a great thing. The scriptures tell us that everything is held together by Christ. And if you understand science, that is literal, that he holds this world together by his power. Period. Because the atom should not exist in its current form. He holds it together. 
what power is going on around us, what miracles are going on around us. And he does this so he can give people a heritage. What is a heritage? It includes an inheritance. It includes every part of the name that comes along with their heritage. Each one of us has a heritage with our family. There's a name attached to our family, a reputation attached to our family name. For some, it's a good name. For some, it's a bad name. But there's a heritage that comes along and has this great building up that God gives us. And he wants to give us a godly heritage. He wants us to be able to lift him up and say, I want you to show forth my name. All of the reputation of God rests in us. Sometimes we're very good at giving his, rep his name a good, good lifting up. Oftentimes we give it a bruising. But we need to lift up his name, his heritage. Verse 7, the works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. The works of God's hands are verity. Verity means truth. But his, the, the works of his hands are, are sure, truthful, reliable, steadfast. You know, when God does something, you know that it's going to be what is good. Period. Why? Because God is good. You know, God is good all the time, and then all the time, God is good. We need to keep that in always in front of our face. Even when it looks like what's going on in our life is not good, it is good. All right? Because God knows what is good. Because he knows everything. And a long time ago, we had a statement on the, on the PowerPoint. God's will is what I would choose if I knew everything. Okay? If I knew everything, then even when things look like they're bad for me, I would realize that it is what's best for me if I knew everything that's going to happen. If I knew everything that people were looking at. How many times are we going to be able to say people are watching us and they're watching how we respond to these things? And if it hasn't happened to you yet, it probably will happen if you walk with God long enough that somebody will say to you, I was blessed when I watched you do whatever it might be. Whatever it is that they're going to bless you for. And if not, it will be in heaven that they're going to tell you because it will have impacted them and that's why they're there. If you are living the way Christ wants you to live, you will be impacting people's lives. Plain and simple. It will happen. It may be family members who are making your life totally miserable because they don't like the, the Christ in you that, you that represents, but they're also noting that you are very different. You're showing forth his love in a, in a very strong way, and that does not please a lot of people. Have you ever been irritated by somebody who was just being kind to you and loving you the way God wants and you just wanted to be miserable and mean to them? You know, it happens. You know, it happens when you're just in the wrong mood, you're not in the right place with God, and you're, and you're just trying to, you know, get your way with somebody. You know, get your way with somebody, you're going to make them pay. They hurt you and you're going to make them pay. They may not even be aware they hurt you, but you're going to make them pay. And they'd just be kind to you and show you God's love. 
I've seen it happen to, uh, toward me more than I've, than I've had it happen toward others, but I've had it once or twice where I've had somebody that I was just mad at for whatever reason, and, and they showed me God's <laughs> love back. But I know it's happened from my side more often that I'm showing people love and irritates them because they get convicted. All I want to do is be mean and nasty and you're being nice. <laughs> and you're being nice. And it happens. Let's see. His, words, his works of his hands are true and his judgments. All his commandments are sure. God gives commandments and they are steadfast and established. God does not give his commandments and expect them to be ignored. This is something that we sometimes forget because we, we look at this. We go, for by grace are we saved, not of works. So a lot of people will take that, well, it's all by grace, so it doesn't matter what I do. No, that is not true in any way, shape, or form. There's going to be consequences for disobeying God's commandments. His commandments are sure. Why are his commandments sure? They come from his character. And we've shared this one. When God was making the Ten Commandments and the rest of the commandments, he wasn't just flipping a coin and saying, is this good or bad? You know, well, should people tell the truth? Let's flip a coin. You know, if that had been the case, what if the coin had come up the other way and it go, okay, lying is good. Go ahead and lie. You know, no, it's not because the very commandments come from who God is. All of them. He is truth. He is reliable. He is loving. He is steadfast in his love. Everything he asks us to do is from his character and who he is, and therefore it is sure. It is not temporal. It is not something that can be just, well, I think this is true or I don't think this is true. And that's what our world is trying to tell us. They tell us that there is no absolute truth. Why? Because they don't have an absolute standard to measure it against. And they're going, well, there's not an absolute standard, so there is no absolute. And they're going, well, God is still an absolute standard whether you accept him or not. Okay? There is absolute truth. And the, all these people who I've talked to that want to say there's no absolute truth, I go, okay, let's go to the top of a building and I'll let you step off the building. You know, if there's no absolute truth, you won't fall, right? Well, no, I'll fall. Why? Because gravity will grab hold of you. It could be absolutely sure that gravity will grab hold of you if you step off a cliff or the top of a building. You will fall. Now, you might have a parachute to protect you or whatever, but you will fall. Uh, you know, there are truths out there that are absolute. God is absolute. Everything that is true is because of his character. And he says that your commandments are sure. Verse 8, they stand forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. They stand fast. They, I love this word in Hebrew. They can be leaned upon. God's truth can be leaned upon. Lean. <laughs> this is what he's asking us to do. Not just say, I believe it. When we come to Jesus, it is not just saying, you're the son of God, you're, I believe that you died on the cross. It is leaning upon that truth. It is actually taking hold of it and saying, without this truth being true, I am without hope. This is what it means to 
to really trust in the name of Jesus. It is not just saying, well, I believe. As James told us, the devils believe in Jesus. They believe, they absolutely know that, that he is the Son of God. They have no doubt in their mind that he is the Son of God. They're just not trusting in him. They refuse or are, are, are unable to lean upon that truth. Many people who claim to be Christians are in that same boat. They're not leaning on that truth. They're not putting their whole trust on that truth. If you've ever done any repelling and you can remember the first time that you've repelled and you step off that cliff and put your whole weight on that rope and that rope is the only thing keeping you from falling. Many people haven't, I know, but it, I thought it was fun to repel, so it was fun. Yeah, you step back, you, you put your whole weight on that rope and you are, you know, Par parallel with the ground down below you and it's like there's a new world. That is what this truth is talking about. All my hope is on this truth. If this truth is not true, You're I'm gone. <laughs> Our salvation is completely on the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and died for our sins. If it is not true, we have nothing. Period. If I'm just saying I trust it and I'm going to put this, my trust over here and over here and over here and over here and I'm going to put my trust in five or six different places then none of them are really my truth. It must be absolutely leaned on that I put my entire faith in who Jesus Christ is. Not my works, not my righteousness, not some other religion. This is why it is so severe when people try to mix Christianity with other religions. I'm going to believe in Jesus plus. No, you cannot believe in Jesus plus. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And this is how fast and true. And this word forever and ever are two different Hebrew words. One means into the future. The first one means into the future. And the second one means always. And they're two different words. So it really reads, they stand fast into the future and always. You would have to get into the Hebrew, is why I'm telling you. You wouldn't know it by reading English. <laughs> they just use the same word. And technically, into the future and always is pretty much the same. But they are two different words. Into the future and then always. So in case you didn't think into the future far enough, it really means in always. Uh, and they are done in truth and uprightness. God is true. He is the one that is always going to be sure, reliable, and steadfast. And he is upright. He sent his redemption unto his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverent is his name. And this one, he sent redemption or ransom. I love the word ransom because it's better. He paid the ransom for us. We were sold to Satan. We were in the slave market of sin. On our way to hell, he paid the price to ransom us or to redeem us. And this whole idea of redemption, we don't really use that word very often anymore, but it means to pay a price, to exchange something for something else. And he says he sent 
the ransom for his people. He commands his covenant forever. And this one is always. This is the, the Hebrew word for always. So he commands his covenant always. Our covenant with him is a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are his children. We are his family. It is a permanent covenant. If you, and just as another nail in the, in the coffin of those who believe you can lose your salvation, God says that he remembers his covenant always. And his covenant is with us by grace. It is not for us to lose because it is him. He does it. His, holy and reverent is his name. I love this. Holy is his name. It's set apart. It's sacred. And reverend is literally a cause for astonishment. He says, your name is set aside and it causes astonishment. You know, how precious is his name? Okay. And again, this isn't literally. We've, many times we've talked about it. When we say his name, we're not literally saying his name. Okay. Because that gets you into this big, long debate as to what is his name. Okay, because I remember in the 80s, there was this big Yahweh only movement where if you weren't praying to, to Yahweh, you were praying to the wrong God. Well, that's fine. I'm not Hebrew. I'll go ahead and pray to God. Okay. Name literally means reputation. And what, every, what your name stands for. Holy, sacred, and awe-inspiring is his name, his reputation how much he cares for us, how much he loves us. God is so special because of who he is. God will never act outside of his character, ever. He will never act outside of who he is. Now that can mean some things to you because you then have to understand what is the character of God? What are the attributes of God? When I first started here, we spent 13 weeks going through the attributes of God. He is righteous. He is holy. He is just. That is one side of who he is. He must punish evil because of who he is. That is perfectly within his character to do that and to want to do that. Okay? Because that is who he is. He cannot not punish evil because that is who his character is. He is also love and mercy and compassion. And we go, well, those are in opposition to each other. No, because it meant that he would be able to fix this. How did he fix this issue of having to judge? He put all of his anger on Jesus. On the cross, the scriptures tell us that it pleased the Father to bruise the son. What was being pleased? His holiness, his justice, his righteousness was being pleased. And because of that section, he threw all of his anger at the son when the son became sin for us so that he could be able to give us his mercy and his love and his compassion because his anger was satisfied at the cross. His anger towards sin was satisfied at the cross. Propitiation, anger satisfied. 
Jesus took all the anger of the Father for sin upon himself so that we could have his love and mercy and grace shown to us. Which is why at the white throne judgment, when the people stand before him having rejected Jesus Christ, there will be anger poured upon them because they have rejected the punishment, the, the only way to avoid punishment. And they will get what they desired. Hell. They choose hell and they're going to get it. And his anger, his anger will be double then because he says, I poured out my anger on my son and you've rejected that? And righteousness and judgment will be poured upon them and God will take pleasure in pouring it out upon them because it will be demanded that, he, that they be punished because they rejected the gift that they could have avoided all of this because God's name is holy and awe-inspiring. We use his name so lightly so often. We want to be careful about that. Commandment, you shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain. And that doesn't just mean to curse. It means to use in an empty and light way. How many times have we heard somebody say, oh my God, they're not praying to God. They're using his name lightly. Bad enough when the world does, but when Christians use it that light, it's terrible to use his name lightly. How about even, let's take it a next step up. We pray and we say, in the name of Jesus, but we're not really believing that he's going to answer. We're using his name lightly. We're... We're using it like a talisman. You know, here's my magic charm. You know, here's my magic charm. If I just pray on this t charm, it'll be answered. No belief really in the power of God doing it. Many times we're guilty of that. Would you pray for me? Oh, sure, let me pray for you. <laughs> and not really taking it serious. We use his name lightly way too often. We violate the whole, I should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, frequently, even as Christians. And we need to be very careful about how we do that. Because it is a serious issue to use his name lightly. He is not going to hold that because his name is holy and awe-inspiring. And it needs to be lifted up and kept lifted up. The last verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Again, we're back to the fear of the Lord. If I am looking at God with reverence, with fear of possible punishment, I will start doing things correctly. <laughs> It is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, God, I don't think I'm going to do this because I, don't, I just don't want to be punished. You know, if that's the only reason you're being obedient, it's still a good reason to be obedient. Okay? For my kids, when they were growing up, if they were afraid that they were going to be punished, and that's the only reason they were obedient, especially when they were young, that was fine. Now, as they got older... I hoped that they would be obedient because they wanted to be obedient, not just because they were afraid of discipline, because at some point 
the discipline for me anyway was going to stop because they're no longer my, my children under my care. They're grown-up adults. At some point, we have to decide to obey God just because we want to obey him. But when we're starting out with him, the fear of the Lord is what keeps us being obedient. God, I just don't want to go through this discipline again. You know, it hurt when you put me through this last time, and I don't want to do it again. Hopefully we get that smart. <laughs> and we start obeying. Obedience starts literally just from the fear of discipline. But eventually we mature. And we go, God, I just want to do what you want me to do, not because I'm afraid of your punishment, but just because I want to do what you want me to do. That's where maturity comes in. If you're still been walking with God for 50, 60 years and you're still living in the fear of punishment, well, you're still at the beginning of obedience, but you're, uh, of wisdom, but you're not into wisdom. And what is wisdom? It's applied knowledge. We've talked about that. I know what you want me to do and I'm going to apply it. Sometimes we are very slow learners. <laughs> and we need to be beat upside the head many times before we finally mature and say, God, I just want to be obedient. And God is just wanting us to be obedient because of the love that we have. If it takes discipline, he's willing to be, use discipline. But just like we as parents, when our kids grow up, we love that day when the kids are making the right decisions, not because we're going to punish them, but because they finally turn their heart to God to live in the obedience that God has given them to live under. The saddest thing in the world is when our kids don't grow and they continue to be disobedient. But we do the same thing with God so often. We don't grow and we continue to be disobedient. But you know what? He's the Father that will always discipline us. He does not back off from that discipline. If that's what it takes, he'll continue disciplining us. Even if we live to be 300 years old, he'll be still disciplining us if that's what it, ta if that's what it has to take. And it says... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have they that do his commandments. The more we do his commandments and the more we see his blessings, the easier it gets to do. I've shared this so many times. The longer we walk with God, the more mature we get, the easier it is to do what he asks. The more we love people, the easier it gets to love them. The more we give forgiveness, the easier it is to give forgiveness. The more we give uh, just obedience to whatever God's asking us to do, the easier it gets. When you're first learning to tithe, it gets very difficult, but it gets to a point where you just give. It's just an automatic, it's just part of what you do. I've said many times, like I did this morning, coming to church and meeting with the body of Christ is not something that I even think about. It's time to go to church, it's time to go to church. It's not even a, well, do I feel like going to church today? No, it's just an automatic, it's time to do it. When I get my paychecks and I get ready to write, come to church, the automatic thing is, here's my tithe and offering that God told me to do, and it gets written out. Has it always been that way? Not really. It's steps and learning, and it's growth. And it takes time to grow. Sometimes you grow quickly in some areas. Some areas, we get very stubborn, and it takes years to learn. For some people, I guess maybe even decades to learn. But you know, God is going to be there and saying, just be obedient. And it says, his praise endures 
forever. And this word for praise is his renown. His renown endures forever. And that's into the future. His renown. How worthy is he? Renown is something that will be remembered. It's something that goes down into history. You are so special. You are well known. You're renowned. We understand and follow you. His renown goes into the future. God will not be forgotten. (laughs) If not, you know, we would think about this. He's not going to be forgotten even in the tribulation period. There's going to be a lot of places, people cursing God because of all the bad things that are happening to them when he's just trying to draw them to him. We will have a thousand-year reign of Jesus on this world after that. His renown will go on. Then the white throne judgment. Satan, the demons, everybody who's rejected Jesus will go be sent into the lake of fire. And God will recreate this world. And his renown will go on forever. And we will be looking at Jesus every time we see him and see just the great cost of our salvation. The scars that he bears into the future. It is going to be so glad that God has taken away the tears from our eyes. But the tears of joy when we see him. The great cost of my salvation always in front of us. And being able to look at him and saying, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Because we are going to be in the perfect environment for all of eternity. Serving him, whatever that might mean to serve him. Because remember that work was not part of the curse. Work was what man was created to do. And there will be work in heaven. It's very clear that there's work in heaven. Now what work we'll have, I have no idea. But there's work in heaven. Jesus said, you know, take, take from him who has and give to him who, who did, uh, has, uh, was disobedient. Give to him who was obedient. You know, take away the talent from the man who buried it and give it to him who, who doubled his, his ten, ten, you know. And he says, in one place that he'll rule over ten cities. Now, I don't know what it means to rule in heaven or what will rule or what it will mean to rule but there's a blessing involved in, in ruling in heaven because there's going to be something. There's going to be some kind of work. Work is what we're created for. And there's going to be some blessings. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and just to look at how wonderful you are. Lord, how majestic you are and how wonderful you are in that you care for us and that you have great blessings for us. We ask that you go with us this week. Give us opportunities just to lift you high. Let us be successful in the trials you put us through so that people will see you lifted up in each of those activities that happen. And always let us remember that whatever you allow coming our way is for our good in the long run, and that you will use it to glorify your kingdom in your son's name. Amen.